You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. I've been talking over the last, don't know, months, and whenever I've been preaching, I've had this continued theme called the Devil's Playbook. Um, Paul Black referred to it last week and talked about, yeah, it's what John's been talking about with the Devil's Playground. So it just shows if your leaders aren't listening properly, it just shows you've no hope at all. Anyway, a playbook is a book that a sports team might have, but when I googled it, I found it's quite normal for a sales team to have a playbook, and it's your strategy for battle, for action, for um, combat, or for um, some competitive event, and you are watching the opposition and you pre-watching their, their videos of, of previous performances and and working out what their moves are likely to be and you 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 plan how to act so you have this playbook and I've Tr tried to explain that I, I believe that the devil has a playbook and he's watching the video of your life and I had four convenient D's that I thought that he was using different chapters of his playbook against us as a church and against Christians generally and the first D was distraction he wants to distract you from the main thing which is loving God loving people and making disciples and he wants to uh, distract you with anything he can, sometimes spiritual things, sometimes seemingly godly things, um, but sometimes negative things as well that are more attractive from the world, more attractive to the flesh, to the old nature. Distraction was one. Doubt was another one. We doubt God's existence, but we're more likely as Christians to doubt his character. Will he really come through for me? And we say and we sing how great God is, but when it comes down to it, um, the, the devil seeds, uh, sows seeds of doubt into our minds. So we had distraction, we had doubt, we had despondency, and we talked about how the enemy wants to sow seeds of despair and despondency, but we, are a, we, we have a living hope that is steadfast and certain and and Jesus is our hope and we've got to get close to him and not let the enemy get to us. Uh, and the, the last D was division and um, he wants to cause splits in the church, splits in the family. Um, and, and, but the, the message is really about unity. We've got to love one another. We've got to stick together. We've got to not gossip. We're not going to talk behind each other's backs. And if you've got a problem, we're going to deal with it um, face to face with people, but do it in a way that is loving. And we're going to just show love at every turn with one another and we're not going to be divided from other churches either we're going to work with them any church that claims that Jesus Christ is Lord and wants to win the lost we are united with that church we might disagree on a few issues in the Bible but we're united in our eternal cause to love God to love people and to make disciples so we don't want division so I finished all of that now but I wanted to bring an epilogue so the devil's playbook epilogue fight flight or stand in his might. Walking home from school as a child, uh, up ahead I saw a, a group of about five youths blocking my path. And as I got nearer, I noticed that they were looking at me. And as I drew even nearer, and I couldn't really get round them, I saw they were making a line, about five of them making a line and looking at me. I don't know why they were doing this. I didn't know them. I don't think they knew me. Uh, maybe they were just bored uh, and they just fancied intimidating a smaller child. I was little, they were big, and it was 
awkward and I didn't know what to do. If I ran away, I'd be further from home and if I chose to fight, I wouldn't survive. And there they were just making eye contact, standing in a line and there I was looking. And we're told that when we're under pressure like that, mostly there's, people talk about the idea of fight or flight. Most of you will have heard the idea, fight or flight. You fly, you run away, you flee, uh, or you, you stand up and fight. And I don't know what you're like, what your personality's like when you're um, brought into a confrontation situation, whether, you, whether you're a proper road rage person. There is someone in here who re- will remain nameless, but they, they confess to kicking a bin when they're angry and... Um, Carol will tell you who that is another time. Uh, so <laughs> but sometimes in certain situations, um, you, you either feel like running away or you feel like just getting aggressive with the situation and fighting. Well, in my situation as a little child, no one had told me those rules. They'd, no, they'd not told me, you've got two options, John. You're either going to confront these people. I, I don't even want to call them bullies. I think they were just bored teenagers. Um, but you're going to either confront these people. I was scared. Or you're going to run away. But no one had told me they were the options. So I invented a third option. Option three, stand still and do nothing. And this isn't, this isn't some kind of bold stand your ground uh, and, and all that sort of, this is more like scared rabbit in the headlights sort of thing. So I discovered this third option. So fight, flight, or stand in his might. And as I've been unwrapping this idea of the devil's playbook, most of the time I've been talking about standing. Even when the, the New Testament uses the language of battle, it's very often talking about so you can stand. It's, it's biblical. In my, in my story, I, um, I just got a little bit closer and I, I stopped. And for some reason, and I'm not going to say, <laughs> I'd like to say that I prayed. And there was the voice of choirs and a shaft of light and the people just parted and I walked through, praising the Lord. Um, that didn't happen. But what did happen for whatever reason, the person to my left in this line of people just withdrew. They just hung back. Uh, I, perhaps they just, maybe they felt bad uh, or maybe they, they were bored, but whatever. And then the next person. And so I saw a gap. And like some kind of soldier, I, I, you, know, you know, on the front line, I just ran through the gap and never looked back. And I think I could hear chuckling behind me as I ran away, red-faced, feeling the heat um, of... of the fear, it just my face was sort of pulsating and there was, you can feel your heartbeat in your head, can't you? And I just ran and never looked back, uh, just, just to finish the story so you know what happened. But my point is, this third option, other than fight or flight, is it's not actually to do nothing, it's just to stand. And it's biblical. The idea is that God will fight and you will stand. Listen to these words One more time from Ephesians 6. And they're familiar words now, but listen to how many times we hear the word stand. It's Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, 
put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We are to take our stand against the devil. Sometimes we're just not called to fight because God wants to fight for us. You just need to stand. Fight, flight, or stand in his might. But I, it made me ask the question, is it actually ever appropriate to run away? Jesus didn't run in the garden. When he was arrested, he just let this, look, here comes my betrayer, and he didn't fight them. And he said, I could call on 12 legions of angels, and my father would send them and rescue me. But he didn't run away, and he didn't fight. He just stood and allowed God's will to unfold. By contrast, Peter, in the same scene, cut off the, 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 the ear of the high priest's slave, and Jesus healed it and glued it back on with Heaven's magic superglue. I don't believe in magic. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. And then later on, Peter ran away. He, well, he, he kind of followed from a distance and all the other disciples ran away and left Jesus. But Peter followed from a distance, but eventually he ran with his words by denying knowing Jesus three times. Jesus didn't run away. But the disciples who ran away or the little bit of fighting Peter tried to do, isn't painted in a good light. So is it ever okay to run away? And in the light of Scripture, I think the general rule seems to be that God wants us to stand firm. But I do want to suggest that there are some times, and this is to bring a little bit of balance as an epilogue to this whole idea of standing against the enemy, that I do believe there are some times when we should flee. And here they are. Number one, when you're tempted. Think about Joseph. Joseph has been sold as a slave. He's far from home and he's been bought by a, a rich guy called Potiphar and he's now done so well. He's been faithful to God. God was with him. He's far away from home. He's, there's no, there, there are no other Hebrews as far as we know where Joseph is. It's like being the only Christian in a very, very um, secular, non-Christian school or environment. It's like being the only Christian, the only one who knows of God in a place that just doesn't know God at all. He could get away with anything and his family members who know about God and his, his, his ways aren't even watching. And Potiphar's wife seduces Joseph or tries to seduce Joseph. Potiphar's away and she comes on to him. Now, I don't know what she looked like, but I'm just going to paint a picture and guess that she was good looking because Potiphar was rich and he could have any, any wife he wanted. I, I could be wrong. I just think that Joseph's response is absolutely brilliant. He doesn't argue with her as she's undressing and she's down to a... Um, lingerie or whatever it is she's wearing. He doesn't stand and stare and say, no, I don't want to do this. He turns and he runs away. 
And in fact, he ends up losing some clothes because she grabs him by the coat and she, she runs away and he whips it off so he can get up. He runs away and he lets, it, he lets go of his coat so that he can get away. There are times when we run. There are times when we run away. Because we're all human and there are things that we know are wrong, but actually we could enjoy them. We might feel rotten afterwards and feel like we've let God down. But in the moment, there are things that are enjoyable that we run away from. If you've got a gambling addiction, you stay away from certain things that lead you into it. If you're interested in pornography, you don't go anywhere near anywhere that will lead you into it because it's destructive. You run away when you're tempted. The Proverbs are packed with similar advice. My son, stay away from the adulterous woman. My son, stay away. Her feet lead down to the grave. It's serious stuff. And Paul tells the Corinthians in the New Testament to flee. So we're talking about, do we stand? Paul's saying, flee sexual immorality. And he goes on to say, this is in 1 Corinthians 6.18, all other sins a person commits are outside the body. So let's just pause there. He's saying flee sexual immorality, full stop, all other sins. So he's saying sexual immorality is its own category of sin. That's quite a straightforward statement, isn't it? All other sins are different, but sexual immorality is its own category. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So what do we do? We flee. We run away like Joseph did. There are times when we don't stand. There are times when we run. The second one of three is when God is setting you free. So number one, when tempted. Number two, when God is setting you free. Think about the Red Sea. You know, when God's parting the Red Sea and the Israelites, they're actually not called Israelites yet, they're called Hebrews, uh, but I won't get into that. Uh, the Hebrews are there waiting by the Red Sea and they've been cornered, they've been led by Moses, who's been led by God, and they're actually, they're enclosed in. There's, there's cliffs either side, the Egyptians are chasing them, and the, the Red Sea's here, and it, as far as they're concerned, it's uncrossable. God parts the Red Sea, wonderful. Do they, do they turn around and stand? You know, God has said at that point, actually in that story, God says, um, just stand and you need only to rest or you need only to be still um, and I'll fight for you. But there is a point where they run because if they just stood there with the open, open sea in front of them, that would be stupid, wouldn't it? You don't do that. God's made a way. And there are times where God is setting us free from things and we've just got to run away from them. We've just got to run away from our old life sometimes. Some of our old ways we need to run. We're tempted, we need to run. When God is setting us free, we, we sometimes need to flee negative influences. There are some people in life who you just need to keep down to 60 seconds at a time because they just bring you down. And, and maybe they don't bring other people down, so don't feel bad about it because you're supposed to win them and win them for Jesus and win the loss. If they're bringing you down and you come away, I heard someone this week say, when I'm with this person, and it's not someone in this church, it's not even a Christian, when I'm with this person, I feel that they have poured sewage all over me just from their words because everything's negative. It's just horrible. And I'm saying to this person, 
just limit the time you spend with that other person. You know, I know you want them to get saved. I know you want, you know, all that sort of thing. And you're supposed to love them. And you feel bad for not wanting to be with them. Um, But sometimes we've just got to flee these situations. Someone else will win them. God will find a way to reach them. But you've got to protect your own heart. You've got to guard your heart. So there's some things to flee from when God is setting you free. But the last thing I wanted to think about, the third one, was persecution. Do we run away from persecution? That means when we're being bullied for our faith, when uh, to the point of death sometimes. In the early church, in the first uh, few centuries, this was one of the questions that was, was being discussed because the first church leaders, now called bishops at this point, um, pastors, church leaders, um, some of them were running away from persecution and some of them weren't. And they had this, this conversation and the, 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 this, the decision that they came to was that it was okay for a church leader to run away from persecution as long as it benefited the church in the long run but they would never run away out of cowardice. Well, that was interesting. This might not seem relevant to us today. We don't get bullied for our faith, do we? Maybe we do. Actually, there are more persecuted Christians in the world than ever before. So I looked on the Open Doors website. William's a great supporter of Open Doors and got a lot of us involved in supporting Open Doors, which I think is a fantastic um, organisation trying to help persecuted Christians around the world. So they have um, a world watch list, a world watch list. And in that world watch list, they're doing a lot of um, research, um, collecting a lot of data, and they've got 50 top countries, or bottom countries if you like, the worst 50 countries to live in if you're a Christian. And so the, the next statistics I'm going to give you are from those 50 countries. It's not worldwide, but uh, so there'll be people being persecuted in other countries too. Country 51 isn't included in this, for example. Okay, whatever that would be. And these statistics are just over, the, over a 12-month period from 2018 to 2019. So recent, think of it as the last 12 months, roughly. 245 million Christians experience high levels of persecution for their choice to follow Christ. One in nine Christians worldwide, or in these countries, one in nine Christians experience high levels of persecution. The number of Christians who experience high levels of persecution has risen by 14% in the last year. 4,136 Christians killed for faith-related reasons in the past year. 2,625 Christians detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, imprisoned in 12 months. Could this happen to us? Maybe. Maybe not. But listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 10. Matthew 10, 22. You will be hated by everyone because of me. Isn't that, isn't that great? I mean, come, follow me. Come and be a Christian and everyone's going to hate you. It's not a really bright picture, is it? Jesus is worth following. He's so worth following. If we really capture who Jesus is, really get a hold of what he's done for us and the eternal consequences, not this just snapshot of a life we've got here on earth, 
We won't even care if people hate us. But Jesus is promising that a whole bunch of people are going to hate us just because of Jesus. But, he goes on to say in Matthew 10, verse 22, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So we've got to stand firm when people hate us. Next verse. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Oh, so Jesus' instruction is to stand and to flee. It's almost as if um, running away is part of standing for him because you're more use for God and for the kingdom if you're still alive. If it's not your time to go, try and stay alive. Flee to the next place and there preach the gospel. Because in the place you're being persecuted, they're not listening anyway. Maybe the Holy Spirit needs to work on them a little bit more before they're ready for the gospel. So why hang out there and just get persecuted for, and, and bear no fruit? Move to the next place. But you will be rewarded for standing firm. The point is stand firm in Jesus. Stand up for Jesus. So, it seems to me that Paul got onto this. When you read Acts chapter 9, this is my last text, and then I've, I'm just going to finish and pray. Saul grew more and more powerful, and, and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus. This is Acts chapter 9, verse 22. By proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy against the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. What an adventure for Jesus, eh? He's hiding in a basket and they're tying rope around it and they're lowering him through a gap in the wall because they're trying to kill him. He didn't take his stand and say, okay, kill me. Because in the early church, there were, after Paul, there were Christian martyrs who, who saw, who believed that they would get such rewards in heaven, they were hoping to die for their faith. They were almost running into the, a few people were almost running into the sword in the face of persecution because they thought they'd get great, and I'm sure, you know, they'll get great time in heaven and everything, but they, they did it for the wrong motive. They just wanted these great rewards in heaven. Pretty extreme, but it was going on. Don't just stand there, Run. Sometimes. So here's the times to run. We're going to stand against distraction. We're going to stand against doubt and despondency. And, and we're definitely going to take our stand against division in the church and in families. But we're going to run from temptation. Make a decision now. I'm going to run from temptation. It's a very difficult thing to do because temptation is, is by definition tempting. It's attractive. So get it while it's early. If you pull a weed out when it's a little weed, you can just pluck it out with two fingers, with a finger and a thumb. If you let it grow, it's harder to pull out. Get in early. Recognize temptation. That's what I've had to do with various temptations, is recognize the journey of temptation and how it grows and intensifies over time if I feed it, if I give it attention. We're going to flee temptation, number one. We're going to run to be set free. When God opens the, the, the Red Sea for us, we're going to run away from the past. We're going to run away from negativity. 
And third, we're going to take a stand for Jesus and we're going to do our best to stay alive doing it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the great calling you've placed on all of our lives to follow you. I thank you that you are a great inspirational leader who, who has led us through the Red Sea into the promised land of salvation. And in that land, we find all sorts of opposition. And sometimes, Father, I, I, we, we just need to, to take our stand and not run away. And I just pray now that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit in such a way that we are able to take a stand in a way that we wouldn't do in the natural because you have filled us with power. And Lord, I pray you would give us the wisdom to know it's time to run. There are times when we run away. And I just pray you'd help us to discern the difference and to live lives that just glow with your presence because the way we respond to your calling of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.